Although kiwi fruit is one of the most expensive commodities to farm within Mzanzi, the export market is booming. And this week, we share a guide to growing kiwi fruit for beginner farmers. Beefmaster Group CEO Lofa Nirienen explains how participating in the Gulf Food Trade Fair can change the game for local beef producers who have their eyes set on trade to key international markets. Sourcing agricultural finance and investment is a vital part of running any agribusiness. But it may seem like a daunting task for a new or even established farmer. And this week, experts join us to share ways to do it. Our book of the week is Time to Think, Listening to Ignite the Human Mind by Nancy Klein. And our farmer tip of the week comes from Bertus van Jerden, who is the chief economist at the Milk Producers Organization. This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to episode 117 of Food from Zanzi's podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I'm Don Numdu, the manager for audience and engagement at Food from Zanzi, and my co host is Food from Zanzi's head of news, Duncan Masiwa. Hey Dawn, it's great to be back on South Africa's most downloaded farmers podcast. But let's get straight into that promised guide to growing kiwi fruit for beginner farmers. Nicole Ludov chats to the chairperson of the South African Kiwi Fruit Growers Association, Jonathan Trussler. Thank you so much, Dawn and Duncan. Now, Jonathan, can you please tell us a bit about yourself? How did you start kiwi farming? Ten years ago, we were in London, my wife and I, and we had our first child. And my father-in-law had just bought this blueberry farm in Limpopo, and he sort of offered us the opportunity to come and manage it. And at that stage, we were looking to leave London and come back to South Africa. And at that stage, we came to the farm. So that was in 2011, and it was a working organic blueberry farm. And we started doing the blueberries. But after a year, we kind of realized that the blueberries were not going to be able to be profitable for us in the long term in terms of the scale that we had. We were quite a small-scale farm, and um, only four hectares of blueberries at that stage. And we started then looking at what would work better in our climate, which crop we could try and do that was more profitable on a small scale. And then we came across kiwis. We're in Limpopo, we're in Mughubus Kluf, so we've got a nice microclimate. We're high up, so we're actually the northern end of the Drakensberg. We met a farmer who just planted some, some gold kiwis down the road from us, and that's how we then got into the kiwi fruit farming. We had a look at it, we did some research and saw that the, the kiwi fruit would do very well in our climate. And so that's in 2015, eventually we took the plunge and planted our first kiwi fruit orchard. And we've now into our fourth year of harvest of that orchard. We're still learning a lot, but we're quite excited about where it's going. Can you tell us a bit about kiwi farming? So if you look at kiwi fruit in general, traditionally kiwi fruit used to be the green kiwi fruit variety which would mostly be Hayward. And that was started in South Africa in the 1980s already. But that's an old variety. In terms of the kiwi fruit industry in South Africa, almost all the new farmers now are planting gold varieties. The gold varieties are quite interesting because they can be farmed in warmer climates than the green kiwi. They need less chill. They have potentially a higher yield and better return per kilogram than the green kiwis. So the chill requirements. Green kiwis need more chill. So if you're looking at the chill units in an area, the green kiwis would usually be 600 to 900 chill units. It's quite cold. 
the gold kiwis would generally be between 200 and 400 chill units per winter. They do generally need cold winters, but the newer varieties can do with less chill. They like a slightly acidic soil, sort of five and a half and six and a half pH is ideal in terms of soil. They seem to do quite well in different soil types from sort of clay soils to sandy soils, but the pH is quite crucial. It's quite a technical crop. It's not an easy crop to grow. So what we're seeing is we're still working out the ideal nutrition, but we're quite different. So a lot of our knowledge and information is coming from the traditional kiwi growing areas in New Zealand and in Italy. We also have mostly summer rainfall areas that we're growing in South Africa, which is different to most of the places in Italy and New Zealand having winter rainfall. The kiwi fruit can handle frost very well in the winter. Plants actually go completely dormant. They lose all their leaves. That dormancy period is very important for kiwi fruits because that's when the buds develop for the following season. I'm using organic fertilizer. We're certified organic and, and we seem to be doing quite well on that. Most of the other farms are conventional and using conventional fertilizers. So overall, we're struggling to go from a smallish fruit to the large fruit, which is standard in the market. So pruning is a very important part of kiwi fruit farming. There's a very important prune that we do in the winter, which will be our main pruning, where we're laying down the new cane for the coming season. But then the summer pruning is, is something that we're figuring out more and more and getting better at in terms of managing the cane development during the summer to give us the best and optimal fruit size at the end of the harvest. There's still a lot of lessons we're learning and a lot of technical things we're figuring out for ourselves, but the guys who planted the first orchards would be sort of five, six, seven years old now. We've had a few seasons of production where we've learned some key lessons. Can you tell us a bit about some of the challenges or difficulties you face as a kiwi fruit farmer? Because kiwi fruit farming in South Africa, and I'm talking now about the gold varieties in particular, is very new. So the oldest gold farms in South Africa are five to seven years old at the moment. So only been in production really for three to four years. It's very, very high risk still. We're still learning a lot. We're still making a lot of mistakes. We haven't been able to meet the quality and the yield that New Zealand and Italy achieve. We're getting closer. There's still quite a few things to work out and it's still going to take us a few years. The other challenge is we're not in a position to say, which varieties will do the best in South Africa yet. So we've got, let's say, five or six commercial varieties available in South Africa, but there's not enough data yet to say, for example, this variety performs better in South Africa or this variety does better in this climate in South Africa. So a lot of the guys who are planting at the moment are taking a lot of risk on board in terms of trying to figure out which varieties they should plant in which areas. So the varieties we've got are giving fair results, but I think that's still a big risk that we haven't worked out in South Africa. A lot of guys who planted early planted with the wrong rootstock. So that's another big challenge is, is to work out the correct rootstock to be planting. We're still working out ideal fertilizer programs and then the best pruning methods. And again, it's, it's something that's probably going to be have to be tailored per region. Finally, do you have any tips or pieces of advice for aspiring kiwi fruit farmers? Do your research. Don't rely on what one person says to you. There's definitely opportunity and there's definitely potential. But I think what's key for any new farmers who are looking at it is to understand the risk. And the best way to do that is, is to visit other farmers, particularly farmers who are in production, as well as existing farmers. And I think that's the best way to understand uh, what the risk is and what the potential is. And also which strategies the farmers are using. There's a lot of different ideas. If you decide that it is right for you and, and that you understand the risks and what's involved, I would say when you start, focus on soil health. 
kiwis, they like healthy soils, they do very well in an organic environment. And a lot of the conventional farmers are using a lot of organic products. So I think if I look at the most successful farms in South Africa at the moment, they're putting a lot of focus on really good healthy soils, getting cover crops in, using sort of organic fertilizer and products as, as far as possible, getting things in balance, trying to create a, a healthy living soil, getting the pH into the right range is, is key because to get that right, it should come through in your production later on. Thanks, Nicole. And great having you, Jonathan Trussler, chairperson of the South African Kiwi Growers Association. Next up, we're now joined by Lo van Renen, CEO at the Beef Master Group. Now he explains how participating in the Gulf Food Trade Fair can change the game for local beef producers with their eyes set on trade to key international markets. Lo, local beef producers hoped to unlock increased trade for Mzanzi from key markets like the United Arab Emirates this year after attending the Gulf Food 2020 trade fair recently. What was the outcome? Any new trades to expect in the new year? We believe it was a very well-attended fair. All the space available at the fair was occupied, which was somewhat of a surprise. There was a, a lot of new businesses that went to the fair, and there was a lot of interest. Just remember that this fair in the United Arab Emirates, Gulf Food, is very old. It's about 27 times last year, for obvious reasons, wasn't showcased. And it really is a food show for the whole of the Middle East. We can see that there's high demand and hopefully we'll get a lot of businesses from attending that fair. Now you've highlighted that trade fairs like this are critical for our beef industry. How can we optimize on showcasing at these trade fairs to ensure growth in the sector? We would like to see that there would be more export businesses involved from South Africa because the government from the DTI side have now pulled back because they didn't get enough involvement from local businesses to export food to those growing markets. We can optimize it by working closer together and that we can have more products that we can offer because there's quite a lot of countries that do have pavilions at these fairs and work together as smaller businesses that work together to be able to go to these fairs because the costs are very high. I believe that that'll work better in future if we can work together. And then finally, according to the South African Red Meat Producers Organization, South Africa currently exports 4% of its beef production, which you say clearly indicates that there's an opportunity for the country to grow its beef exports. How do you foresee this growth and trajectory? We export 4% of our beef currently on an annual basis, and obviously it's evened out. But just remember, it is the more expensive cuts. It is quite high in revenue, but it's compared to local, it's very low volumes. We foresee that there will be growth in this if we can get more markets open. The industry needs to work together with government The farmers need to work together to produce more beef and lamb and that we can see in those two species that there could be growth on the export side. Certainly with um, better quality and for that we need to have systems like traceability to be able to gain access to better markets in other countries. 
We are not balanced on the carcass because we sell some products locally, like the four-quarter cuts, whilst we can only export some of the hindquarter cuts to these countries. It'll be to our benefit if we can get more markets open to be able to get a realized better price for the whole carcass. At the moment, beef and all other proteins for that matter is in high demand, other than really pork, which is at the moment oversupply in the world. So certainly that there could be huge potential for growing the beef sector in particular. Thanks so much for joining us. Lo van Rinen, CEO at the Beef Master Group. Now we know that sourcing agricultural finance and investment may seem like a daunting task for a new or even established farmer. But we connected with a few experts who shares vital tips to navigating this. First up is Malapane Tamaha, who's a ministerial representative of the Maize Trust and explains why developing farmers need funding, but more importantly, why bridging the gap for smaller producers that have been around for generations or even new or beginner farmers in Mzanzi is so vital. It will be important to appreciate that we did not just get to where we are as, as black farmers and white farmers in the country. There's been immense support, a comprehensive support of you know, white farmers to get them to a commercial level where we find them today. And that comprehensive support of subsidization of white commercial farmers or farming in general has since really dropped since the dawn of democracy. And the reason why you find emerging farmers or developing farmers really challenged is as a result of that. Perhaps it's about time that we may look into that legislation or the mandate of developing institutions as the land bank. If you only joined the industry recently, you're likely to get into the space either through just after retirement or otherwise you run your farm business, you know, parallel to what you do. So meaning you run it as a side hustle, mainly because the financial institutions available for developing farmers are not so reliable in the sector and it's quite unfortunate and it shouldn't be this way. Some of the challenges that emerging and new entrants in the farming space are really facing. And chances are that the people who are really succeeding in the farming space, developing, are likely to just be self-funding, you know, rather than looking anywhere else for support in terms of, of finance. Nomalanga Pascal, who's a KwaZulu-Natal farmer and human resources practitioner, explains what farmers should consider when it comes to sourcing agricultural finance and investment. I think as a basic guideline in a business, in this instance, being a farmer, you have to be having this compelling desire to do this business. That's the starting point. So you need to be at least demonstrate that you are going to be running this business. You're not going to be an absentee farmer. So there are basic ground rules that you need to follow. You need to be able to demonstrate that there is this site, this project site that you'd like to develop. Let's say a startup. And with this site, what is the ownership? Is it leased? Is it communal? What is the ownership pattern of this? What is the governance structure? Those are the key important aspects that funders would look at. What is your proposed farming activity? What informs that? Is it going to be poultry farming? Is it going to be horticulture, cattle farming? What is it? And at least as a baseline, demonstrate that you've done your homework. If you haven't, you can't do your homework at that level. It becomes a futile exercise. Supposing you can't have all the resources, but try and engage they are in the main department of agriculture in most local municipalities, districts, where we operate within the South African landscape. At least find out that information. 
because it will be a basis of developing this concept document that will try to formulate what is that you're trying to achieve. It will structure what is it that you're going to do before you even approach outside parties. For that, you may find there might be pockets of support that you'll get through various institutions. For example, institutions I'm aware are designed, the TFIs. Yes, I agree with my colleague Malapani that you would be knocking at all those doors. But you know what? If you don't even try to knock, you're not going to go anywhere in life. You have to be persistent. You have to have tenacity. And these doors do get open at some point. And you go to them, they have programs within them. If you say present your concept document to say, let them now help you to go to the next level, which would be developing now the business plan. And there might be various outlook as to how it's developed, but those, they call them project development funding. It is there and in the main it's designed to support youth, women and blacks, aspiring farmers and existing farmers that want to expand their farming businesses. Can I take this opportunity just to mention some of those funding institutions? I am not here promoting them, but I have personal experience with some of them that they have those funding mandates. They have those funding instruments. It is the National Youth Development Agency. It is the Development Industrial Corporation. It is the National Empowerment Fund. It is the Department of Trade and Industry and Competition. This Trade and Industry and Competition Department, they have what is called the Black Industrialist. We're talking when you are an industrialist. But there's also agro-processing, which deals with the startup farmers. And there's also CIP, which provides the critical infrastructure, which is important in any business, in particular farming. The land bank is a case that we are managing as a country, which is quite sad indeed. But the farming packets are there, but you need to prepare yourself properly as a baseline to demonstrate your desire, your ability, your understanding of what is it that you think you want to achieve in this space. Sound advice and crucial tips for any new farmer interested in sourcing agricultural finance and investment. Thanks, Malapane Tamaha and Nomalanga Pascal. Now remember, you can catch our weekly sessions on Food from Zanzi's Twitter space called hashtag gather to grow. And if you've missed the one, check out Food from Zanzi's YouTube channel for the full episode. Next up, and before we let you go, our book of the week is Time to Think. Listening to Ignite the Human Mind by Nancy Klein. Caroline Sampson, Head of Strategy and Sustainability at Access Bank SA, reviews this book for us. Time to Think, Listening to Ignite the Mind by Nancy Klein may accurately be described as a classic. Published in 1999, its core belief and guidelines are even more applicable in our distracted and fast-moving world today than at the time of writing. Author Nancy Klein believes that everything we do depends for its quality on the thinking we do first. And our thinking, in turn, depends on the quality of our attention for each other. We are always told that listening is an important life skill. And there are many books about developing listening skills. But Time to Think connects listening to the results of our thinking, and thus ideas and ability to solve problems. The first section of the book details the 10 behaviors that help people think for themselves, which include not being interrupted, giving everyone equal time and attention, and appreciating each other's ideas. Nancy Klein then applies these to organizations and families. Whenever I apply some of her guidelines to meetings, the quality of the outcome improves and people participate constructively. Time to Think is a book that stood the test of time and well worth reading. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's super fresh, it's super soft, and it makes any meal a treat. It's super sure bread and super sure flour. A proud member of the VKB Group, 
from breakfast to lunch and even birthday cakes. Supershaw makes the whole family smile. Find Supershaw on Facebook or visit vkb.co.za for more info. VKB, for the love of the land. Thanks, Caroline, for that book review. Now, remember, if you'd like to review a book or perhaps you have a book suggestion of your own, feel free to email us on info at foodformzanzi.co.za. But before we let you go, our farmer tip of the week comes from Bertus van Jerden, who is the chief economist at the Mill Producers Organization. And he believes success is spelled with five Ds. Let's find out why. In farming or in agriculture, success is spelled with five Ds. Define your goal or goals, your desire to achieve those goals. That's where the passion comes in. Discipline. You can look at all the big business leaders there. All of them got a very specific discipline. Determination. You've got to be determined to achieve that goal. And then lastly, do the extra mile. And if you spell success with those five Ds, I'm sure that your farming business will thrive. And... Our Farmer Tip of the Week from Bertus van Heerden, Chief Economist at the Milk Producers Organization, brings us to the end of this week's Farmer's Inside Track. Now for daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists to really go above and beyond. To feed South Africa, visit foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter. Plus, as I mentioned before, don't forget our weekly sessions on all things farming on Twitter spaces and we call it Gather to Grow. What another great episode this was. Now, remember, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers. Be sure to also check out our sister publication called foodforafrica.com for inspiration and news from across the continent. But for me, Duncan Masua, Dawn Umdu, our producer, Megan van der Fendt, and the rest of Team Food Firm Zanzi, have a great week. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.